Our mission at Crosspoint Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want people to know Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And then the meaning of life is just to live your life for a greater God that not only created us, but, but died in our place so we can be with him for all eternity. But we're going to continue in our series through the book of Romans. And we've been calling this series, How God Makes Bad Men Good, the book of Romans. So if you ever wondered what Romans is about, that's what it's about. How we are bad, we are terrible, we are wretched, as Paul says, and he makes us suitable for heaven. So if you would, turn to Romans chapter 11. We're going to be in Romans chapter 11 this morning, a sermon I'm calling Israel's Future. Um, as you're turning your Bible there, I got to kind of preface this message. I don't typically do this, but I really struggled with this message because I want to pre- preach Romans chapter 11, but Romans 11 touches so many aspects of eschatology in, in time thing. And so really this needs to be like a 12 week sermon series. And I'm trying to cover this in one sermon. So it may seem like I'm, dr- I'm you're drinking from a fire hose at a couple parts in this message. And if that's you, then that's Okay. I want to give you just a couple resources. This is, this is a book called uh, Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost. This is my, my favorite book when it comes to end-time study. There's, there's hundreds of great ones. There's also thousands of bad ones. This is one good one I'd like to recommend to you. Um, but fair warning on this book, this book is not for the faint of heart. This reads like a college textbook, so there'll be times, at least I, had to read a section a couple times to get to, to what... Um, Mr. Pentecost was trying to tell me. So there is just one book. If you find yourself, I say something, you're like, I don't know what Pastor John was talking about. You could find in that book. Now, if you're not the type that likes to read, that's a pretty thick book. Uh, YouTube videos that you may want to look into. Chuck Missler is my all-time favorite Bible teacher for end-time prophecy. Uh, Chuck Missler, M-I-S-S-L-E-R. He went to be with Jesus back in 2018. But man, there's just countless videos for end time stuff concerning um, that Chuck put online. So today we're continuing our series and we're going to be in Romans chapter 11. If you've been with us through this series, we started this at the beginning of this year. We've taken a number of turns here and there for Mother's Day, Father's Day, a couple other reasons. Easter was a big one. But we, today we are in Romans chapter 11. And if you remember, the overall arching theme of the book of Romans is the imputed righteousness of Christ, okay? Christ's righteousness, that refers to Jesus' state of perfection, okay? It's that he is perfect, and we need him to be perfect because we are not. We are fallen. We are wretched, as I said earlier. And you see, his perfection is what is necessary to gain access to heaven because the truth is we've all missed the mark. And because we've sinned, our sin separates us from God, and we, are, we need someone to come and hit that mark for us. Read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The word of God says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does it take to get to heaven? Short answer, be perfect. Well, guess what? We all missed it. You missed it. I missed it. Every person you know missed it. And so we need someone to come and hit that mark for us. Enter Jesus. In other words, the righteousness of Christ is given to us as a gift when we place saving faith in Christ. And that's what makes us right before a holy God. Look what Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Paul said, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I've said this many times throughout this, this series. I say this all the time, but Jesus came on a rescue mission. And he came to, to save sinful men and women. 
And, and, and because no one is good enough on their own to stand before a holy God because we're sinners. But if we come to him by faith through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, his death and resurrection, we can receive this eternal, this gift of eternal salvation. Please note, we've been discussing this uh, for the past couple weeks, but that salvation came through the Jews. His name is Jesus. But that was God's plan for the, all along. There was that, that has been plan A since the beginning of time, before there was a time, that Jesus would come and, 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 and die in our place. God's plan came through a place, namely Jerusalem. It came through a people, that, the, the Jews, the, the nation of Israel. And it came through a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the question we've been talking about for the past couple weeks is, since the majority, not 100%, the majority of the Jews, they have rejected Jesus as their Messiah, the question that Paul is, is answering is, has God rejected his chosen people because of their rejection of Christ? That is the question. And if you remember back in Romans chapter 9, Paul said emphatically, no, that's not the case. He says, God has never divorced Israel as his chosen people. Well, the question that should naturally come up was, well, if if Israel hasn't rejected, or excuse me, if God has not rejected Israel, well, what is the future plan? What is God's future plan for Israel? Because that's a fair question. Scholars say, they they say that, that Paul wrote this letter roughly around 57 A.D., Well, the destruction of Jerusalem is going to come 13 years after this letter is written. But by the time this letter already begins to circulate, you know, Jerusalem is no more. The Jewish people have gone into captivity. They've been dispersed all over the Mediterranean area. And so when Paul writes the the believers in Rome, there's already this belief that, that God is done with the nation of Israel. That, that, that this teaching is teaching that, that, that God's done with Israel, he's through with them, and he's not going to work through them anymore. That's what people are already beginning to think by the time this letter begins to circulate. Well, the church in Jerusalem, when it began, it was nearly exclusively Jewish. Okay? But then in the coming years, it is, it's is starting to become more and more Gentile. By the time this letter is written, the, the congregations across the Mediterranean area are largely made up of, of Gentile, non-Jewish people. If you doubt that's the case, look what Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I'm having to, somehow my, my Bible, it's shrinking. I, I can't, so I've got these guys right here. Romans chapter one or 11, verse 1. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By, mo- by no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul has already said, no, God has not rejected the Jews. There's a remnant that, 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 is, still, that is still believing, not all of them. And Paul says, I am proof because I am an Israelite. So he's saying God is not done working with Israel, and I am an example how God is not through with the Jews. But let's jump to, down to verse 25. Paul says this. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regard to the gospel, 
They're enemies for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. So this is the question. Has God rejected his chosen people? That's how Paul opens this chapter. Has God divorced the Jewish people? And Paul answers, he says, no way. That's not the case. And there's some people, there's some churches that look at what we're studying here, even though Paul very emphatically says that's not the case, they still teach that, yes, that is the case. But Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, says, no. Okay? The, the, the people that teach that, what they do is that they will claim, well, God has already made promises to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. And since the nation of Israel doesn't exist anymore, what's going to happen is God's going to fulfill those promises through the church. Well, after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the, the nation of Israel was scattered, and there was no nation for Israel, or for, for God to fulfill his promises that he made to Israel. And so, again, those that teach that, they, they teach, well, God's future promises will be fulfilled in the church. And people that teach that, that hold to that, often what they do is they have to spiritualize Scripture, okay? What they will say is, well, well, the text that you read in your Bible, the author wrote what he wrote, but that's not really what he meant, okay? I think that's really dangerous to do a lot of times. My approach, when I look at Scripture, is called a grammatical historical interpretation. You know what that means? That means when I read Scripture, I take it literal. Okay? The words on the page, they have meaning, and I believe the author meant what he said. So this is what we do. I do. I have to take history into context. As it was written, I take the background of the author and, and who he's writing to and, and those people. We have to take the, the syntax into account and the, and the grammar into account. And you take all this into account, and that is called a grammatical historical interpretation of the Bible. You see, unless the text compels us to believe that the, the writer is being figurative, then we have to take it as being literal. Now, there's plenty of texts where the writer is being figurative, and when they write in a figurative manner, we take it as figurative. But unless the text does that, I think that the best way to interpret Scripture is with a literal interpretation. Theologian by the name of Vance Habner, he said, quote, It is easier to understand what the Bible says than to understand what somebody thinks it meant to say. I would agree with that, right? So much easier to take it literal and say, this is what the author said and this is what the author meant than to, to try to jump into the text and go, well, this is what I think the author meant to say. Well, in Romans chapter 9, if we remember, Paul was beginning to discuss God's plan for Israel. The question, has God divorced Israel? And Paul's very clear answer is no. Then we go to Romans chapter 10, and Paul spoke very clearly, very plainly about about God's plan for salvation. That salvation comes through the gospel. And you have to hear the gospel message preached in order to be saved. That is very plain. And that is Romans chapter 10. And now we come to Romans chapter 11. And Paul is discussing what is God's future plans for Israel. Let me just say it this way. God's plan for Israel never changed. Okay? God's plan for Israel never changed. But currently there's been a shift in the plan, if you will. Okay? There's been a shift because there currently has a partial hardening to the majority of Israel. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. 
If you remember back in Romans chapter 9, Paul was discussing Pharaoh. And he says that, that, that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. And so God said, okay, I see you're hardening. I'm going to harden it some more. If you remember that, we discussed it. Well, what's happened is that Israel at large, not all of Israel, but a lot of Israel has hardened their heart to Jesus being their Messiah. And so what happened is God hardened it some more. But here's the thing. That's not always going to be the case. Okay? Right now, there's a partial hardening, a partial blindness, if you will, on the part of Israel. But that's not always going to be the case. Eventually, that, that hardening, that, that blindness will go away. Look again in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul writes this. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Let's stop there. So Paul is telling us right now, as he wrote this, and I mean, it's still going on today, there's a partial hardening to Israel. Verse 25 tells us that there's this partial hardening, but I want you to remember back if we backed up into verse 1 of chapter 11, Paul says, I ask it then, has God rejected his people? By no means. So here's one takeaway for this. A hardening and a rejection are not the same thing. Okay? So this can tell us someone that there's somebody that you know that has a hard heart towards Jesus. That's not the end of the story. Okay? Paul said earlier in chapter 9 that he wants his people, the Jewish people, to come to see Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he took it so far, he said, I would go to hell for all eternity if these people, my people, would come to know Christ, if they would see the beauty, the splendor of Jesus. I would forfeit my salvation. That's what Paul said. But yet they have not accepted Christ because of the hardness of their heart. So that tells us that a hard heart, it's not the end of the story. What happened is that Israel, they became spiritually blind, if you will. They became spiritually blind because they have all the Old Testament, but yet they can't see Christ in the Scriptures. Have you ever been, like, studying your Bible? You go, to, you go to Genesis, and maybe you're reading about Abraham, how Abraham took his son, took him up on the mountain, he laid him on the wood, and he's about to, he's about to sacrifice his son, but then God said, stop. And then God provided a ram, and, and they sacrificed the ram, and how can, do you ever read that and go, how can you not see Jesus in that scripture? Or how about when there's three teenage boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're in a fiery furnace, and all of a sudden there's a fourth one. There's a fourth individual in the furnace, and Daniel says a fourth is like the Son of God. I mean, we read the Old Testament scripture, and you're like, how can you not see Jesus? Well, the answer is because they're spiritually blind. There's a partial hardening because they have all the Old Testament scripture, yet they refuse to see Jesus in those scriptures. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. The word, the, word, the word of God says, but their mind was hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So again, have you ever wondered, how can somebody have all the information, know all the Old Testament, they know the scripture, but yet you can't see the Savior? Why is it? Well, here's the answer. Blindness. There's blindness. There's a hardening over them. And this blindness, this is a national blindness. Though there is a remnant, there always have, there, there always will be a, a group of believers that God preserves by and large, they're largely blind. 
So the nation of Israel, they were done away with in, in 70 AD. The nation was conquered. The, 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 was, they were scattered across the Mediterranean Sea. Then fast forward to May 14th, 1948, and Israel became a nation. One day, overnight, the nation of Israel went from not being a nation to being a nation in one day. Now, I think it's important for us. Note, that had never happened before. In the history of time, that miracle had never happened. And then in one day, God did it. I've heard it said that today there's roughly 20,000 Messianic Jews living in the nation of Israel. A Messianic Jew is someone who is ethnically Jewish, but they have accepted Christ as their Savior by grace through faith. So that is 20,000 in a nation of 6.7 million Jews. Done the math on that, that is 0.003%. It's a very small portion of the population that believe in Jesus. And you're asking, why don't they believe? The answer is because of blindness. Back up in Romans chapter 11, look at verse 7. The word of God says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, excuse me, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forward. So there in that section of Romans chapter 11, Paul is quoting the Old Testament scripture to back, back up what he is saying. Paul is quoting the book of Isaiah. He's, he's quoting Deuteronomy and he's quoting the a psalm because God said centuries earlier, this was going to be the case. That they're going to reject my, my, my savior, my Messiah, my son, and this is what's going to happen. They're going to become spiritually blind. Jesus himself spoke about this blindness. Well, there was a day when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. He came to reveal himself to the Jewish nation. Jesus says this in Luke 19, verse 42, saying, Would you, even you, had known this day the things that, that make for peace? But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you, a hem, and hem you in on every side. And tear, tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus is product, pre predicting the destruction of the temple that would occurred in 70 AD when the, when, the, when the Romans came in and they leveled the temple. Why did God allow that to happen? Because of the blindness that happened to Israel. God allowed his people, his, his chosen people, his chosen nation to be destroyed and taken into captivity. And they were banished from that land. Uh, they weren't a nation for nearly 1,900 years. Why? Because they refused to come to Christ. Because they were blind. Though Israel was blind to the Messiah, meaning they, they refused to see Christ, God continued to preserve his people and that's amazing when you really think about it. I mean, the history that's behind the Jewish people is amazing. God allowed them to go into captivity back in Babylon for 70 years and then brought them back. And then God allowed the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and the nation was lost for nearly 19 centuries. And then on one day, May 14th, 1948, God brought them back. 
Here is the question we should ask. As you sit there, as you study your Bible, you should ask yourself, why? Why does God do that? Why does God bring them back? And here's, the sh- here's an answer. It's just the short answer. Because God's not done with Israel. God's not done working through his chosen nation. He's not working largely through them today, but he's going to work through them. If you do a study on the Jewish people, and let's say that you're an individual that doesn't believe in miracles, and then you study the Jewish people, I, if you're being honest, you're going to have to believe in miracles when you're done is, <laughs> studying the Jewish people. Because there is a 0% chance that things would work out the way they have had God not directed the path of Israel. I mean, think about it. Go back to, to Exodus. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God told a guy named Moses, hey, go to the most powerful man in the world and say, let my people go. Eventually, they get to the, back to the promised land. And then they're destroyed, not once, but twice. They're dispersed across the entire globe. And then there's this thing called the Holocaust, one of the most horrific things in the history of mankind. And yet, still to this day, they exist. Six million ethnic Jews in Jerusalem today, in Israel today, excuse me. Not only all that, but even today, Israel is one of the the few true superpowers in this world. I I looked this up, and there has been at least 210 Nobel Prize winners that were Jewish. 22% of all Nobel Prizes go to someone who is Jewish. Now, there's there's a total of 9 million individuals living in the nation of Israel today, and if, if, if you put that on, on a map, the, the size, the square mileage of that, that is roughly the size of New Jersey. I don't know about you, but I haven't spent a lot of time in New Jersey, so it's hard for me. How big is, is New Jersey? Here, I, I, I broke out the calculator and figured this out, but the nation of Israel is 3.8 times larger than our county. Picture Washkie County times 3.8, and that is the size of the entire country of Israel. It's a tiny little nation. And yet that tiny little nation is surrounded by these giant uh, countries that want nothing but the destruction of that one little tiny country. And why hasn't that happened yet? Here's the answer. Here's the real answer. Because God's not done with his chosen nation. Israel will continue to survive or will he be destroyed? That's the question we should ask. Well, Paul answers that. If you're wondering what's going to happen to Israel, Paul tells us something's going to happen in Romans chapter 11. Something is going to happen, and it is absolutely huge. This huge thing is going to change everything. Read back in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Read it again. Paul says this. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be ignorant, or excuse me, unaware of the mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until... The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So the heart of Israel has been hardened. They have this this temporary partial blindness, and that's tragic. But here's the thing. That's not going to last forever. God has not divorced his chosen people, which is the question Paul began to answer back in Romans chapter 9. But what happens is, and this is how I'll say it, God's put his chosen nation in timeout. Okay, God has said, hey, you're in timeout. You go sit in the corner and you're going to sit there in the corner until I'm ready to deal with you again. In the meantime, God's been working through the Gentiles. That's most of us in the room today. Okay, the point of Paul in Romans chapter 11 is yes, there's this partial blindness that's happened to him. But this blindness that Paul's speaking of is temporary. 
It's this temporary blindness, but this temporary blindness that's happened to Israel has actually opened the door to Gentiles, and we should all be really excited about that. I know I am, because this includes me, okay? The Gentiles is being, are being used by a holy God to tell people about him. If you remember back in the book of Acts, we were studying this last year, and Paul was always going to the synagogue. He'd go to a town, he'd go to a city, and he'd always go to the, the synagogues first. And he would go there and he would preach Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures, and he would preach until they wouldn't listen. And so then he'd take the gospel to the Gentiles. So here's what's happening. God's never stopped working. God wants the whole world to hear, hear about him, and he wants the whole world to hear about him through his chosen people, and that is how it's going to go down in the end. But in the meantime, God's working through the Gentiles. God never stopped revealing himself to the lost world, and at this time, it's often referred to what's called the church age. Okay, this is where the church is responsible to take the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Okay, the role of the church, here we go, this might be a good time to take notes, is to allow God to work through the church so that lost people come to know about Jesus. Question, ask yourself this, what is the goal, what is the duty, what is the responsibility of the church today? Here's the answer. To tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. That's the simple answer. And if a church isn't doing that, then you're not doing your job. Look in Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 15. The word of God says, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is is holy, then the whole lump is, then so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. You may hear that and go, what in the world is Paul talking about there? Well, Paul is using an illustration from agriculture to try to get this idea across what he's saying about the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's talking, he's using this illustration of olives. Olives were terribly important in the Mediterranean city, cities back then as they are today. In fact, if you go to the Mediterranean world today, you'll see olive trees everywhere. And did you know that olive trees can last for hundreds of years? When I was in Jerusalem, we, we vis visited the Garden of Gethsemane, and I was told that those olive trees that are there in the, in the garden are the same trees that date back to the time of Jesus. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to have to take the expert's word because I wasn't there when Jesus was there. But anyways, what will happen, though, is, is you have this old olive tree, and what happens is there will be a branch that quits producing. Well, what happens is they cut off the non-producing branch, and they burrow a little hole back into the tree, and they take a, a branch from a younger tree, and they graft it in. That's the analogy that Paul is making here in verse 15 through 18. He's saying the non-productive branches, that's Israel, they've been taken away because they wouldn't produce. That's the blindness that Paul sp spoke of. And then they take these branches of the wild olive trees, that's the Gentiles, and they graft them in. 
So what Paul is saying is that we Gentiles have been grafted into the, the trunk of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not as a replacement of Israel, but in addition to. It, it is so that, that, that the church will add fruit to the kingdom. Paul is not saying that, that Gentiles magically become Jewish. That's not what Paul's saying, though there are plenty of churches that teach that. Paul is saying that God has temporarily stopped working through Israel and is now working through the Gentiles. That's what Jesus said on one day. Look in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. It says, And Jesus said to them, I have, excuse me, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. What we should ask is, well, what is the fruits that Jesus is speaking of? Fruits is where you go and you tell people that don't know Jesus about Jesus and they come to saving faith in Jesus. That's the simple answer. So Jesus is actually predicting a future where the Father is going to temporarily take away from the Jewish people and then graft the Gentiles in. Jesus said it on another day using a, a different analogy. He said this in John chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So if you're a Gentile believer, that's me. That's most of us here in this room. We, if you wondered, we've been grafted into the blessings of the Jewish people. So here's, here's a side note. This is why no Christian can be anti-Semitic. You cannot be a faithful Christian and not love the Jewish people because everything we have, we, we owe them. They gave us our heritage. They, they gave us the scriptures. And it's through them that the Jewish Messiah came to the world. But here's a question we should ask. When will God bring his people out of timeout? Currently, they're in, I'm calling timeout. When will he bring them out? Go back to verse 25 again. This is what, what Paul says. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay, well, so God has put them in timeout. And here, here's something that, that is true about every single timeout. They don't last forever. It, it, God has put his people in the penalty box, if you like a hockey analogy, Okay, but every penalty box, there comes a time where the time runs out and you come out of the box, right? Well, how long is this timeout? When will this timeout expire? Paul tells us, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So Paul said that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So you should be wondering, what in the world does that mean? What does Paul say, what mean when he says that? Well, other versions of our Bible translate as saying, the full number of the Gentiles. Other versions say the complete number. This is the way I'll say it. This is the new Pastor John translation. Until the last Gentile gets saved. When will that happen? Anybody looking for a date? Okay, anybody ready? Here we go. Write this down. I have no clue whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know. Okay? I don't know, there, I don't know when that number is going to happen, but this is one thing I do know. It's going to happen. I did a Google search, and according to Google, not the most terribly accurate source, but it gave me a number, so let's just go with it. According to Google, there are 2.18 billion Christians on the earth today. 
I think it's way less than that, but we're going to go with what Google said for the sake of this message. Well, then we should ask, well, how many Christians, how many people have become Christians since 70 AD? I have no clue. But this is what I picture. I picture God's up in heaven. He's got one of those big old number counters. I think his number has got, it's a big one. It's, it's got a big, huge number. And every time someone gets saved, click. Every time someone professes Christ, click. Every time there's a revival and, and many Christians get saved, click, click, click. And God is clicking away every time someone's eyes open to the splendor of the perfection of the Savior. How many clicks until the scales fall off the eyes of Israel? I don't know. But this is what I do know. It's at least one more. It's at least one more Gentile that's going to profess Jesus as their Savior. And then the, 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 the scales will fall, off, will fall off the eyes of Israel. One day the last Gentile will get saved. And when that happens, that's when the fullness of the Gentiles, the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And that's when the present age will run its course. That's when the church is filled with the last Gentile believer. And I believe that's what sparks the rapture of the church. You're not familiar with that term. There's this coming day, this coming event where God is going to take his church. They're gonna, he's going to remove his church from the earth and it's going to be in heaven with him for all eternity. See 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. God's going to collect all the saints off this earth and it is going to be amazing. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, not so awesome. But here's one th- takeaway for us. If you're a believer and you want to hurry the rapture of the church, we, it, God knows what day it is. But if you want to like be partakers of that, that wants to, to, to usher in the kingdom of God, this is what you need to do. Go share the gospel. Go share the gospel with people that don't know. Here, let me ask you this question. Have you ever prayed... Jesus, just take me home to be with you. Anybody? Hey, two of us, the rest of you liars. Uh, no, I prayed that. Oh, yeah. If you want to hurry that process, then go share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. Here's a takeaway for us. Don't only talk about Jesus to people who already know Jesus. Go talk about Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. We Christians spend so much of our time just talking about Jesus, about other people who believe exactly the way we do, but that shouldn't be the only way. We should be talking about Jesus to people that disagree with us, that, think, that place faith in some other system, to people that are going to hell if they don't know Christ if the world ends today. Maybe you're the one, picture it, you're sharing the gospel with somebody, and they see the glorious splendor of our Savior, and they call out to him, and then all of a sudden, wham, the rapture happens. The church gets, wouldn't that be awesome? I would love to be that one. I don't know if I'm that one, but I could be. You could be. If we turn in our Bibles and we turn to Daniel chapter 9, we'd read about this thing that Daniel calls the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel says there's going to be 69 weeks, then there's going to be a pause, and then there's going to be one last week, the 70th week to come. Well, theologians, most theologians agree that a week equals seven years. So 69 weeks equals 483 years, then there's going to be a gap, and then there's going to come the seven last year, the 70th year for a total of 490 years. And maybe you're thinking, what in the world is Pastor John is talking about? Let me, let me try to explain, okay? Something happened to stop the clock. God is working through his people, 483 years, something to stop the clock. God, I'll tell you what stopped the clock. God stopped the clock. He put his people in time out. Well, something's going to happen that's going to start the clock, and then we got seven years. 
What starts the clock? Here's what starts the clock. The last Gentile gets saved. The rapture of the church occurs. God removes the church from the earth. The, star, the clock starts running, and God's going to work through Israel again for seven years. So again, when's that last Gentile get saved? I have no clue. I don't know when it's coming, but this is what I do know. It is coming. And that's when that last seven-year period, the, the 70th week of Daniel, it's also called the tribulation period. It is a seven-year period that's going to be worse than anything that's ever happened in the history of time. Picture Hitler's Holocaust that happened in Eastern Europe. It's not just going to be in Eastern Europe. It's going to be worldwide. It's going to be terrible. You don't want to be around for that. The rapture of the church will, will, will stop the church from working because we're not here. The church is in heaven with Jesus, and God's going to pull Israel out of time out, and he's going to finish his work of telling the whole world about him through Israel. Read verse 25 again. Paul writes, Lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved, as is written, a deliverer will come out of Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them, and I will take away their, saved, their, their sins. So Paul says all of Israel will be saved. When, when Paul said, and in this way Israel will be saved, as written, Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59 says, A deliverer will come out of Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So what's going to happen is Israel's, the scales are going to fall off Israel's eyes. They're going to see the, the splendor of Jesus, and they're going to recognize, and they're going to be saved. You know what this tells us? This tells us there's only one way to be saved. There's not multiple ways to be saved. You can't be saved by going to this festival and keeping that law and doing all this, this work. You can't be saved by doing the do's and don't and the don'ts. It's only by believing in Jesus. He's the Savior. He is God come in the flesh and went to the cross and died for my sins and your sins. Go to verse 28 of Romans chapter 11. Paul says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. If we were to go through this, this chapter, Paul uses words like stumble and trespass and failure and rejection to describe what, what Israel has done concerning their covenant with God. They rejected the Messiah. Here's how I'll say it. They blew it big time, right? They blew it. But the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's why Paul can say in verse 26, all of Israel will be saved. Now, I don't believe Paul is saying that every Jew from the history time, they're all going to be saved. That's not what Paul is saying. I believe Paul is referring to the Jews that are still alive at the culmination, the conclusion of the 70th week of Daniel. You know what's going to happen at the end of the 70th week of Daniel? Return to Jesus' time then. <laughs> You want to read about that? That's Revelation 19. It's awesome. In the future tribulation period, and this is just my opinion, I believe it's not too far from now, the Jewish nation is going to believe in, a, in, in Jesus as their Messiah. 
And if we turn in our Bibles, we look to the, that book of Revelation, we could read about these 144,000 Jewish men that never knew a woman. It's, it's Revelation 14. Side note, the Jehovah Witnesses, they, they teach that these are 144,000 very special Jehovah Witnesses, but almost none of them are Jewish, and almost all of them have known a woman, so it's clearly not what John was talking about when he wrote what he wrote. But anyways... There's going to be 144,000 Jewish men that I picture are going to be like the Apostle Paul. Read what Paul did in the book of Acts, how he's running all over the Mediterranean Sea, telling every man, woman, and child about Jesus. These are 144,000 Jewish men that get saved during the tribulation time. They become these worldwide evangelists, and they, tell the, they share the gospel in every corner of the globe. So picture what Paul did just in in the book of Acts. That's going to multiply that 144,000. That's what's going to happen. Like, how can the whole world hear about Jesus? That's how. Also, if you turn to Revelation chapter 11, we could read about these two guys that are preaching the gospel, and like the whole world hears. You're thinking, how in the world can the whole world hear two guys that are preaching Jerusalem? I'll show you how. One of these things. With social media and these little smart television devices we have in our pocket everybody's going to hear the gospel they're they're going to hear the gospel and then by the time they're finished preaching the bible says all of jerusalem is glorifying god in case you're lost as a ball in high weeds let me try to recap this real quick for you how it's all going to go down right now there's a partial blindness that's occurred to israel And someday, very soon, I think not too far from now, the last Gentile gets saved, and then wham, the rapture happens. Again, awesome for believers, not so awesome for non-believers. You know, just another side note, I I try not to get political in my messages, but I kind of got to get political here. Um, Our governments have been training us for some like worldwide cataclysmic event that's going to make us have to like put all our faith and trust and hope in our government and this one world rulers come you think it could be a rapture rapture happens maybe in the upwards of two billion people disappear off this earth and man man that would turn the world into chaos and we just need to place our faith and trust in government rather than god right another side note on how might this be explained this is my opinion and i admit i could be very wrong on this I could hear him say, oh, it was alien abduction. Alien abduction took two billion people. Now you've got to put all our faith and trust in, in the government and this one world ruler who's antichrist. If you're here, don't do it. It's a trap. But what's going to happen when that happens? I'll tell you what's going to happen. The scales are going to fall off Israel's eyes, and they're going to see Jesus as our Savior. Read Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. The word of God says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So Zechariah is speaking about this, this people that he calls the house of David. That's very clearly the Jewish people, Right? And they're going to look on someone whom they have pierced. That is so very clearly Jesus. They're going to understand that they killed the long-awaited Messiah on a cross called Calvary. And they're going to repent and they're going to be saved. And again, this tells us there's only one way of salvation. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. 
The Israel in that day, they're going to recognize that they killed Messiah, that Jesus is the one. They're going to turn to him to faith, and all of Israel will be saved. And if you think it's impossible for that to happen, I would say the Bible disagrees with you. God's not only going to save his chosen people, but then he's going to use them to make his name great over the entire globe. Here's the takeaway for us Gentiles. You know, over and over and over again, the Bible refers to Israel as a stiff-necked people. That, that means a, it's used an illustration of a, of a horse that won't give to a bit. It means a stubborn horse. But eventually, you know what's going to happen to those stiff-necked people? They submit. They see Jesus. They get saved. But they have to go through hell to do it. Here's my point to you. If you don't know Christ, don't wait. Don't wait. Submit your life to Jesus now. You know, I've spoken to people, I don't know how many times, and there's been a number of times where people have shared with me the most terrifying word I've ever heard in my life. You know what that word is? Tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow I'll get saved. Tomorrow I'll get right with, today I'm doing this thing, but I'm going to do this, I'll I'll get right with God tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll get saved. Here's the thing, we're not promised tomorrow. We aren't certain that tomorrow is going to happen. Maybe the rapture happens tonight, and then you miss that, and you've got to make it the next seven years on, on, on this earth. You've got to go try to make it through hell on earth. Chances are you're not going to make it. Here's a better word than tomorrow, and the word is now. Right now. See Jesus as the Savior. Read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. The word of God says, And justice is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We have this life to accept Christ our Savior. If you're breathing air, that means it's not too late. But if we die in our sins, we will be eternally separated from a holy God in hell. You know, I said this, consider that maybe you're the one that tells the last Gentile about him and they get saved and the rapture happens. Maybe, maybe you're the last Gentile. As you sit here and hear this message, you're separated from God because of your sin. What if you're the last Gentile and you call out to him as you sit and you hear this message and you get saved and then the rapture happens? Maybe the person sitting next to you, they call out to him and they get saved. That kicks off the the rapture and then you got seven years of tribulation. Don't do that. (laughs) Come to know Jesus today. I just want to close with you. You want proof that there's a God in heaven? Look to Israel. Look to Israel, his chosen people. And God, this is the same God that knows you and loves you, and he sent his one and only son to die in your place. If you don't know Christ, come to know him today. Recognize there's a holy God in heaven, and we've all separated ourselves because of our willful sin. But if you recognize the Savior, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus in faith and call out to him, you will be saved. For most people, it happens through a prayer to say something like, Lord, I'm a sinner. The things I've done, the things I've chosen for myself, it separates me from you, but yet you love me so much that you sent your one and only son to die in my place for what I've done. Lord, I want to turn from my sins. I want to turn to your son in faith, and I want to give him my life. Save me from my sins. And I say this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.